Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. I'm Dave Delaney. If you haven't noticed, we've taken a little bit of a hiatus over the last several months. Uh, A big revelation was found. I have ADHD, and that explains a whole lot. And of course, naturally, as a veteran podcaster, I started another podcast all about it, and it's called ADHD Wise Squirrels, and you can find it at wisequirrels.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Just search ADHD Wise Squirrels. Pop over and have a listen. Let me know what you think. Thanks. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. The crazy thing we found is that 30% of people allow other family members to use their work devices. Mm. And nobody expected that. Mm-hmm. And, and the other thing we found is that 42% of all the people in our survey, and this was a nationwide survey, right? 1,000 people across the U.S., mm-hmm. all frontline workers in healthcare and education and places like that. Yeah. And we found 42% of people believe their organization security policies are too restrictive, so therefore they go and work around them. And 46% of people admitted they work around their security policies. Nice. 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 Nice with Dave Delaney. Welcome to the Nice Podcast, all about communication, collaboration, and becoming better leaders. I'm your host, Dave Delaney from futureforth.com, where we help fast growing technology companies retain talent and improve culture so you have happier, more connected teams. Today, I'm speaking with Dennis O'Shea, who is the founder of Mobile Mentor, a company that helps employers to balance security with productivity for the modern hybrid workforce, something that uh, is near and dear to my heart. Welcome to the show, Dennis. Thank you, Dave. Such a pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, it's great to great to speak with you. So you don't have that Tennessean twang. Uh, so let's get this right <laughs> in the open. Tell me a little bit about your adventures coming from Ireland to uh, the U.S. Well, I left Ireland a long time ago and had a few stopovers. As you can tell from the accent, I was not born in Tennessee, but I got here as quick as I could. <laughs> and uh, spent a few years in Scandinavia and many years in New Zealand and then in Switzerland. And then eventually found my way to Nashville, Tennessee, and we call it home now. I don't speak like a Tennessean, but uh, but it is home. Yeah, and yeah. we love it. Yeah, Nashville's Nashville's great. So I always like to start with the the big question, which is, what is the nicest thing someone has done for you recently? Oh, can be anything. The nicest thing. Oh, I've got a really really dear friend and. He has just done so many good things, but one of the really cool things was he got me tickets to see Randy Hauser, 
who is one of my favorite country artists. Nice. And uh, he tried very hard to get me a private meet and greet. And it didn't work out because there were too many people there. I got within about two meters of the guy uh, or two yards of him. Mm. But um, I just appreciate the opportunity to get to, to get to see the show in, in a small setting. And it was it was just wonderful. And my friend Craig has been trying to get those tickets and trying to get me up close uh-huh. uh, in some kind of a performance experience like that for a while. So I really appreciate Really appreciate him doing that. That's brilliant. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a diehard Neil Young fan and oh, yeah. have, like, I'm not like a starstruck kind of person. I mean, I generally, being from Toronto, you know, you're used to running into movie stars because they shoot so many movies there and you kind of leave them alone. And of, of course, in Nashville, you know, the sentiment is pretty much the same where you, you know, you run into somebody at the grocery store and you, you'll just leave them be. But. Yes. But Neil Young is like the one guy that I just, I'm dying. It's like my bucket list to meet him in person, <laughs> only just to shake his hand uh, and say thank you, really. Ultimately. Yes. And, yeah. um, and I've had a couple close run-ins, and, and the, the closest I got was he was being inducted into the Musicians Hall of Fame here in Nashville. I was speaking at an event. It was like January in Birmingham, Alabama. And so my plan was to drive back to Nashville for the evening. I was invited to go to the show. And then I had a friend with the, with the, with the group who had planned on getting me backstage in order to help me <laughs> get closer <laughs> to meet Neil. And yeah. lo and behold, I got snowed in. In Birmingham, oh, Alabama, no. of all places. What? I know. I Snow know. in Alabama. It was bonkers. And it was like bumper to bumper traffic. So there was like absolutely no way. Uh, it took me an hour to get to the next uh, parking lot from the one that I attempted to leave from because of all the traffic. It was just not happening. Wow. One day. Another day. It won't be. Yeah. Yep. So One you and you and Brad and me and Neil and we'll all just hang out and have pints together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about Mobile Mentor. What what uh, what do you guys do? We're a service organization. I right. Make that really clear. So we provide IT managed services to generally to mid-sized organizations, and we tend to specialize in organizations that have a hybrid, a modern hybrid workforce, where you've probably got some people who work remotely, maybe some in the office, some who travel. And, and what's different about those organizations is the number of different devices that people need to use and the number of different settings they work in. And so they tend to put themselves under a lot of security uh, risk uh, because of all the different places they work and the different devices they use. Many of them are bring your own. And so helping those organizations be secure and not get hacked, that's mm. a big job. And then helping those people um, be productive with all their devices wherever they are. That's that's also a big job. And we, we solve for both of those. So we provide a security and support service for mid-sized organizations who have this kind of modern hybrid workforce all yeah. over the place. Yeah. And many of our listeners, you know, are leaders of organizations that are working, you know, hybrid and sort of the quote unquote new norm or, or, or they, they lead, you know, a lot of technology companies, especially lead fully distributed, you know, remote teams. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, things, you know, and a lot of times when, you know, we, uh, we met uh, for coffee a number of months ago and I remember like chatting about this and, and about, the security implications and something it's not really a focus of my 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 business so it's not really something i think about as much but the truth is that 
you know, when people are working from home, they're often working on their own computers with their own firewalls or lack of firewalls and all that. So tell me a little bit about some of your discoveries. I know you, uh, we just, we talked a little bit about a study as well that you you did. Tell, tell me Mm -hmm. about that. Well, if we take a, if we, if we zoom out a little bit and look at what's happened, it's quite extraordinary. Mm. So for the, for maybe the 20 years before this pandemic, work was essentially the same for quite a long time. Mm. And what I mean by that is people drove to work, they logged onto a, a computer that was owned by the employer, and they did their work during the day, and then they logged off and they went home. Mm-hmm. And it's beautifully simple when we look back on it now. And then five big things happened very quickly during the pandemic. The first was we were told, go home and right. figure out how to work remotely. And, and that was a big shift for many of us. And at the same time, then the cyber criminals came after us. And when I say us, I mean our schools, our hospitals, our municipal government organizations, our cities. Uh, there was you know, this 500% increase in cybercrime at the time we were all trying to work from home. Mm-hmm. And so security suddenly became a frontal lobe consideration in a way it wasn't before. And then the third thing that happened was this crazy chip shortage where you couldn't buy a computer or, or a tablet for a period of time. Mm. And so what we saw happen was in late 2020, you know, when we, we thought we were coming out of the pandemic. We got that wrong. But we thought we were coming out of the pandemic and organizations started hiring people remotely. And so now you have a situation where people are being hired remotely. They're working in their home office. They were working on personal laptops and desktops. And they're using their company's work data, and they're connecting over a Wi-Fi connection in their home that's probably got the least security you can imagine. It's a domestic Wi-Fi connection from one of the, one of the carriers. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we're all taking huge risks with our company data. And suddenly the, the, the traditional company perimeter is now out there in suburbia in all these home offices. And the employer actually has very little visibility of what's actually going on in that home office. Hmm. And what people are doing with their personal devices, their work devices, how much sharing of those devices is happening with other family members, um, what people are doing with their passwords, uh, what applications they're using. So the risk profile went way up at the same time as the support requirements for those employees went up as well, because suddenly they're they're out of sight, they're out of mind, they've got different support needs. Hmm. And then, of course, in 2021, the other big shift we saw was that people started to realize that I can resign from my job, I can start another job, and all I have to do is put my existing laptop in a FedEx package and send it away and open a new FedEx package and unpack my new laptop and sign in. And I can sit at the same desk and I can plug this new laptop into the same monitor or a couple of monitors and work for a new company and possibly get paid more money. Mm. So the barrier to changing jobs was extremely low and these five changes you know working remotely the big increase in cybercrime the chip shortage and and onboarding people remotely and then the great resignation it's really turned the workplace upside down in a very short time frame and are you finding so you you did this study right and and yes what were some of the some of the the key findings from from that study we found first that people don't really understand the gravity of security. We know now company leadership is very worried about security and any company who's going through the process of trying to get their cyber insurance renewed um, is living living this, this nightmare right now. Mm. And, and 
it's it's a real problem. It's a real problem out there for company leadership. But the end users, the people out in those home offices that I just described, security is not a big deal for them. It really isn't. And and people are kind of ignoring the security policies that are put in front of them and not really paying attention to any security training that's been given to them. So we have a problem at the front line in that people don't seem to understand the gravity of security, the gravity of a breach and, and what it does to an organization. Mm. And when we did the study, we looked at different generations, you know, Gen Z, super interesting, the kids coming out of university into the workplace age between 21 and 24. And then we looked at millennials and obviously Gen X, which is my generation and yours as well, Dave, yep. and then the baby boomers. And we found that Gen Z, um, they're a phenomenal bunch. So they are the only generation alive with no recollection of 9-11. Now, that's an important thing to think about because I bet you everybody who's listening to the podcast or most people can remember where they were on 9-11, what they were doing and who they were with, Mm -hmm. except Gen Z. They were running around in nappies and it had no impact on them, but it had a profound impact on all of us. And security Personal security, airport security, the kind of security for the country, kind of security became a huge consideration over the next 20 years after 9-11 for all of us. But it didn't impact Gen Z in the same way. Mm. So they sauntered through the next 20 years, then they went through college, and they joined the workforce during a pandemic. And for them, they're almost blind to security in a way that everybody else is conscious of security. Mm. So they don't, when, when companies roll out security training or security policies, Gen Z um, kind of doesn't see it. But when there's something to do with privacy, oh my God, they see that. They are hyper aware and really sensitive to anything to do with privacy, mm. but not security. So when we think about this from you know, a leadership perspective and attracting and hiring and retaining talent, we think there's a couple of really, really good nuggets in the in the research data. And one of them is that for, for company leadership, if we keep banging on about security, we're going to go, we're going to talk right over the heads of that Gen Z. Mm-hmm. They're not listening. Mm-hmm. But if we reframe it as, well, as a message of privacy, we get their attention straight away. So like if we say, hey, Dave, we want to make sure your personal information is secure your salary, your social security number, uh, all your personal details. We want to make sure they never get leaked. And so now I've got your attention because I'm talking about something that really matters deeply to you if you are a Gen Z employee. And then we can say, by implication, we want to make sure that our patient's information is secure. They've trusted us with their most deeply personal information. We have an obligation. We have a duty to protect their information. And so what I've done there is I've reframed security as being a consideration of privacy. Yeah. And we got their attention. It's a great approach to it and, and perspective because you don't yeah, you don't really realize even if somebody's not as concerned about security, but but when you position it for themselves, it's like, well, yeah, what about your own personal information? <laughs> Do you want that secure? Yeah. <laughs> right. How would you like to have that leaked on the dark web? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So tell, so what are some of the biggest, uh, what are some of the biggest red flags, I guess, as far as yeah. securing like, uh, like remote workers and, and the devices they're using? Well, the, one of the first things we found in the study was that, um, 
passwords are a major problem. Like we all know we have too many passwords, right? Mm. And we found that across the generations, um, for some crazy reason, Gen Z has the most passwords. They've mm. only been in the workplace for five minutes. But somehow they have more passwords than people who've been in the workplace for 30 or 40 years. And they're very digitally savvy. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're onto it when it comes to technology. And they've obviously signed up to a lot of different applications and services. And we looked at the password problem across all the generations. And there's something we call password hygiene, which is how well are your passwords constructed? And mm. then how do you save them and manage them? And, and the problem gets really crazy when you consider that people actually have, you know, lots of passwords. Many people have um, over well over 100. I think the average is about 97 for knowledge workers today. Mm. That's just work passwords, not personal. Yeah. And so what we found is that um, people do crazy things to create their passwords. Um, not our study. Another study from the BBC showed that 15% of people in the UK use their pet's name as the basis of their password. Yeah. And they simply add on a month or a season, you know, it might be Rover, Spring, right. uh, something like that. Um, and 6% of people in the UK still use the word password as their password. <laughs> and so we have a problem right there where the password originates, but then we have a bigger problem of what people are doing with them. Mm. So something like 31% of people are writing their password, their work passwords in a personal journal, like a notebook. Right. And another 25% are saving their passwords on an app on their phone. And I think it was another 18 or 20% are putting their passwords into an Excel spreadsheet or, or a Word document. Mm -hmm. And so the problem here is what people are doing with their passwords and the risky behaviors they're taking. And in particular, you know, we worry about Gen Z because they're, they are the future of our workplace. And they're the ones that seem to have the most passwords and the worst password hygiene. Do they have the most passwords because they have the most logins? Like, like they've like, in a sense, I, I, I would feel, I would assume that like maybe older folks who are, who are not savvy to this would use the same password uh, for multiple logins where would a Gen mm -hmm. Zer use multiple logins? They use multiple passwords for the said logins. Does that make sense? You're, you're <laughs> probably, you're probably right. You're mm -hmm. probably right there. Mm -hmm. And they seem to sign up to things more readily. Yes. Um, now, fortunately they use, they use tools like password reset tools uh, very easily. Yeah. We found a, a crazy problem with the baby boomer generation where a certain percentage of people never, ever reset their passwords. Right. Some of them have never clicked the reset password or forgot password button, which tells us they're using the same passwords over and over forever. Right. Right. And now I use now personally, and maybe this, I don't know if this is a good idea or not, but personally I use, uh, I use one password. Uh, right. you know, there's other competitors like yes. LastPass, and, and there's yes. others like that. So, so yeah. where you, you know, my passwords primarily are password one, two, three. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> for all our listeners, uh, <laughs> um, no, my passwords are typically the most characters possible. So let's say it's like 60 or a hundred random characters. So like if you ask right. me with a gun to my head, what my password is for Twitter, I'd be like, I, you might as well. No shoot idea. Me. But it's of course, randomly generated. Right. But of course there is a master password to access all of my passwords within yes. one password. Tell me about those yes. types of, of uh, products. Look, they are a great second best mm. um, strategy. Mm. So I say the best strategy is actually to go passwordless. 
Mm. So, you know, every organization, I think I was at a point where they recognized that passwords were a great invention back in 1961. Mm. Um, but we found out in 2021, passwords are the primary reason that organizations are getting hacked and getting ransomed. Okay. And so there's a, there's a broad recognition now that society needs to kick the habit and, and get off the drugs that these you know, passwords represent <laughs> and go password less. Mm. And, and that's the best strategy. Kick, you know, get rid of passwords completely. But if you can't do that, if you've got technical reasons why you can't do that or you don't have the right skills or whatever, um, having a password management tool is, is the second best thing. And it's probably a good you know, short-term strategy. Keep all your passwords in one place and, and in one vault yes. with a strong master password. Um, and if you're in, a, in an organization, that gives your IT team time to then get the password-less strategy right. And then hopefully over time, you get down to one password and then eventually none because your biometrics, you know, your face or your fingerprint or your voice will become the way you, you log in to all your devices and you've probably already got that in your iPhone, you know. Are yeah. you an iPhone user, Dave? Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah, so you pick up your iPhone, it looks at your face, it scans it, it picks up 300,000 data points, and it goes, this is Dave Delaney. Right. And it logs you into iOS, and then all the trusted apps that are on your device, you've then got single sign-on, which takes Dave Delaney straight into those applications. Right. And then if, there's some, if something looks a bit dodgy or suspicious, you might then have to put in an additional code. That's multi-factor authentication. Mm -hmm. And so those three things together, your biometrics, so your unique face or voice or fingerprint, plus single sign-on, and plus multi-factor authentication, that's that's the future. That is how we go passwordless. Are and there, ultimately, you can forget those long passwords. So are there... Um uh, so, uh, you know, right away beyond the, the iPhone, I think of like, I'm an Apple user, so I've got like a Mac, mm -hmm. a MacBook air and my MacBook air has a fingerprint to unlock yeah. it. Um, yeah. for, is that the, like, are, and I'm sure there are, there are, you know, um, Microsoft, uh, uh, you know, the same yeah. sort of technology on that side. Is it more like, uh, in order to do this in a secure way, is it, are, are there third party products that one purchases like it departments purchase or is it, or are the laptops they send out to their staff already equipped with this kind of thing? Nowadays, the laptops that you buy are, are coming equipped with this. So right. the, the key is um, having a laptop that has a, an encryption chip that scrambles the data. Ah. And if you have that, and if the camera, if the laptop has a camera, an infrared camera, mm. then it simply scans your face in the same way your iPhone does. Mm -hmm. And so in the Microsoft world, you know, for anyone using Windows laptops and all that, it's called Windows Hello. Right. And you basically look at your computer and it looks at you and it says, oh, this is Dave Delaney. And it takes you into your, your Windows operating system and then enables you to sign into all your applications, you know, Outlook and Teams and, and all the rest of it. And so the experience and that logic is exactly the same as on an iPhone, but now it's on your main work devices. And like, I haven't, I haven't typed a password for a couple of years yeah. because I've got, I've got a computer that has that chip, it has a camera. It looks at my face. It goes, okay, this is Dennis. And off we go. And I just never have to type passwords. I always hear like uh, of people who are more, are, you know, more concerned with personal privacy that like with an, uh, with an iPhone, for example, they turn off the facial recognition when they're traveling so that should they, you know, get, get detained by TSA or somebody, they don't legally have to, if they don't have the access to their face, they don't legally have to enter their password. 
Uh, any thoughts about that, or, or is that just kind of paranoia? Ooh, it sounds a bit like paranoia to me. <laughs> I would much rather be using my face when I'm traveling than yeah. taking the risk of typing a password when there's probably cameras all over the place. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. People looking over my shoulder. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I worry about people typing passwords nowadays because it's so easy to have key logging software or surveillance technologies that pick up on the passwords we're typing. Yeah. So I think we're much, much better off having you know, facial recognition or biometrics in some way than just typing out old fashioned passwords in 2022. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense. So, so tell me, were there other like key, key takeaways from, from the, the study? There were, there were yeah. a couple of others. Yeah, there yeah. was an explosive one around shadow IT, which is the practice of people using tools and technology that was not provided to them by their IT department. Uh-huh. That's called shadow IT. And, and my dad works in B2B marketing. But I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash mpn to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash mpn. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be. To be. We've always known that there was a big thing around BYO devices, you know, bring your own devices. Mm-hmm. And we just didn't understand the extent of it. And what we found is that there's a massive amount of um, fluidity happening. People are using their personal devices for work and their work devices for personal stuff. Mm-hmm. But then the crazy thing we found was that 30% of people allow other family members to use their work devices. Mm-hmm. And nobody expected that. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing we found is that 42% of all the people in our survey, and this was a nationwide survey, right? 1,000 people across the U.S., mm-hmm. all frontline workers in healthcare and education and places like that. Yeah. And we found 42% of people believe their organization security policies are too restrictive. So, therefore, they go and work around them. And 46% of people admitted they work around their security policies. Huh. And then something like 60% of people told us, actually, it was 60% of the young generation, the Gen Z, they told us they prefer working on G Suite, Google applications, and Dropbox um, over what they were given by their employer. Mm. So that really means that, you know, what IT has provided is not what people are using to get the job done. And when we dig into the data, what we find in particular for young people is they're the cohort that came out of the education system. Mm. They came out of university where they were using G Suite and they were using Dropbox. And they've come into this professional business world and now they're learning Windows and office applications and Teams and all of that. But if you then ask them to do some collaboration or share a big file with an external organization, then it gets really tricky. And that's where they fall back on the tools they know, G Suite, you know, Gmail or G Drive and Dropbox and stuff like that. And that's where the where the where the problem often often starts. 
So we think there's, there's a lot to be learned for IT leaders and companies today that are hiring lots of young people. And let's face it, most people are trying to hire young people to, to address the labor shortage. Sure. Um, there's, there's a big challenge there in that they want to use their own toys. You're right. And they don't believe that the tools and technologies provided to them by their employer are fit for purpose. And so they're quite happy to work around and take 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 matters into their own hands. Do you think sometimes it's it it is because these other services or, or platforms might be old fashioned or clunky, uh, you know, compared to you know what they're used to using, or 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 is it strictly just a, perhaps or not strictly, but perhaps a lack of training? adequate training for, for new employees to understand the, these, these secure platforms that they should be using or that IT want them to use? It's, it's probably a bit of both, Dave. It's, it's probably the fact that some of the tools they are given in the workplace are genuinely clunky compared to what they're used to doing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you ask somebody to share a 100 megabyte video file, Right. Or, or some very large um, PDF or something like that, they're going to struggle to do that with, with the kind of tools most companies are using today. Mm. Um, but also, they perhaps have not been trained and not been shown how to share a link securely to that large video file so somebody in another organization can access it in the right way mm. without you know falling back on Dropbox or Gmail. So it's, it's both, I believe. Does this involve an audit? or survey for employees of, you know, existing companies to, to start to get an idea of, of where those pain points are so that companies can actually solve these problems. When you say, does this involve an audit? You mean, well, like, you mean, like if company, if company X are struggling because their, their staff are using their own shadow it, you know, uh, services, um, you know, how do they, how do they go around to, to teach them ah, how, to, how to, what they should be doing? Well, that's a great question. And I think companies right now are at a really interesting tipping point because as we come out of this pandemic and hopefully we are genuinely coming out of it now. Yes. Let's hope. <laughs> yes. Hope. <Yeah. laughs> then a couple of things are going to happen. People are going to start to drift back towards the office a bit more and yeah. spend more time in the office. And, you know, quite frankly, we need that. We need some people contact. And in particular, that young generation um, where, you know, every school is trying to hire more teachers. Every hospital is trying to hire more nurses. Every tech business is trying to get more developers. Every restaurant is trying to get more, you know, frontline workers. Mm-hmm. And so as a society, I feel like we need to learn to love Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And we need to adapt our workforce to really work well for Gen Z. So they want to work for us and they want to stay with us. And I think back 20 years, I remember going to conferences and hearing people saying unkind things about the millennial generation. Mm. You know, there was a lot, of, a lot of people were begging millennials back then. And if you stop for a moment and think about who built the digital infrastructure that runs our lives today, mm. you know, who built Uber and Lyft and Google and Facebook and Twitter, it was those young millennials. Right. And, and now we, we need to, in a way, learn to love Gen Z, learn to attract them and, and build the workplace for them in a way that they can thrive so that they will do well at work and they will get promoted. They'll become managers and leaders. Meanwhile, we're getting older um, and, and that Gen Z will, will, will need to become the, the dominant and, and most creative part of the workforce going forward. So right now, I feel like company leadership 
is at a really is in a really tricky place because once they start to understand how different Gen Z is, it's going to be scary and it's going to push them in one of two directions. Either they're going to have to take actions that will increase friction mm. for Gen Z or they're going to have to figure out how to reduce friction to attract more of them and, and retain them. Mm. And what I mean by that is if, if, you're, if you're a company leader right now and you've read the study or you've started to understand that this young generation are ignoring security policies, they don't understand the gravity of getting hacked, they're mixing up their personal devices and work devices, they have all these passwords and they're careless about them and they prefer using Dropbox and Gmail. And so you think, right, you know, these kids are a problem. We need to go and deal to them. We need to tighten everything up. We need to, uh, you know, have more VPNs and more controls and more security policies. And then there's, there's a natural instinct to tighten up and that will create friction. Mm. And I call that technical friction. And, and that will drive them away in the same way as if we create workplace friction. So if we say to those kids, you now have to drive into the city, pay for overpriced parking, pay for an overpriced lunch, sit in a cubicle and work with people you may not like. Right. That has the risk of driving them away. And if we create cultural friction, if we if we kind of vilify them in the way that millennials got vilified a little bit 20 years ago and, and tell them they're a problem generation and, and make them feel like that, then <laughs> again, we're, we're going to lose them. Mm. And, and what we found through our study is that 71% of the young generation believe other organizations are doing a better job than their own organization with technology. Oh, wow. Now, that's their perception, yeah. right? That's their perception. And we think about their worldview. They came out of college. They joined a company during a pandemic, probably working remotely. And they probably never knew an office-based work culture like we knew, mm. right? We knew what it was like to go to work, uh, meet different people, have a chat in the, in the kitchen or by the, by the coffee machine or by the water cooler to go out for lunch with different people. Uh, maybe go for beers on a Friday. And we had lots of loose links, lots of loose connections with people in other departments. And so that gave us this contextual understanding of what this company does, where it's going, what it stands for. And we had this sense of belonging because we had all those loose connections. And now these people who have joined an organization working remotely during the pandemic, they only see the same small number of people on their screen. Right. They've got a very narrow view into the organization, mm -hmm. and they're missing a whole bunch of social cues and, and contextual cues. And they think, 71% of them think, other companies are doing a better job. Mm -hmm. Now, they might not be right, but that's their perception. So the thing we now worry about is if, if organizations say, right, let's tighten up on these, these kids because they're going to cause a security breach, and if we create friction, they'll walk. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And I, I've been talking a, a lot about this and it was some of my guests on, on this podcast too, because if I'm convinced that if teams do not come in, come together and I understand that some companies are fully distributed or remote. Um, but I still believe that the team has to come together in person at least once a year or twice a year for like an annual retreat or something like that. Or if it's a hybrid business, then I believe the team need to come in house on the same days during the same hours each week, rather than kind of willy nilly whenever. Um, I believe this is so important because 
then genuine relationships are are built because otherwise, and to your point, like if you don't really have any affinity to the business that you work for and the, and more importantly, the people that you work with, then as soon as somebody waves a, a higher paycheck and better benefits and you don't have to leave your home, <laughs> then they're going to just jump ship, which is what we're seeing now with the great resignation. Um, you know, that this, and, and so this is what I do with future forth is, you know, I help companies with, with this kind of stuff. So yeah. I'm curious, like, what about your own business with mobile mentors? So are you remind me now, are you fully distributed or are you, you know, how, how do you, we're, how are we're you a mix? We've got an office here in the States. We've got an office in Nashville, mm-hmm. but we really only have about a quarter of our team who go to the office on a regular basis. Right. We've got about another quarter that lives in Nashville and don't go to the office very often. Yeah. Um, and then the, maybe half the organization is spread between Seattle and Florida um, mm. and work permanently remotely. Mm. And then on our New Zealand office, we have people working remotely. We've actually got two offices in New Zealand and Wellington and Auckland. And in Australia, we've got all remote workers, no office. Wow. So you could say we're a hybrid. We are that hybrid organization. And, and the way we tend to work here in the US is Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Yeah. We're in the office, Tuesday and Thursday, stay at home and we you know, power through a ton of work remotely. Mm-hmm. And that that works for us. And we've said to the team, you know, if there's a better way of mixing that up, tell us. Yeah. But uh, that seems to work for now. And I think people get, people come into the office and they get energy from each other. Yes. And there's a, there's a really good, and there's a really good atmosphere and culture and people giving each other stick and just a really good, really good bond. But then we probably all recognize we do our best work sometimes by being alone and working on something. But if we're brainstorming or collaborating on something, there's nothing. There's nothing that beats standing around a whiteboard and having a big debate. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I remember I used to work with uh, Griffin Technology, a consumer electronics company from oh, yeah? from Nashville. And uh, yeah, one of the best best uh, things we used to do is the naming name games, where we would name new products, and so we would whiteboard them, and we would all just kind of riff and spit out different ideas for product names, and then you know we'd finally land on a couple different ones and and, yeah. te- and test those. Um, but it was always cool to see like if it's if, if it was your name of a product that actually came to fruition and then next thing you know you saw it at apple and target and best buy yeah. it's like i named that uh yeah so so yes the the in-person whiteboard is certainly uh and brainstorming is is, is big and also just this yeah. i find just the sort of spontaneity and sort of serendipity that takes place when you're when you're in person as well you know the the you know water cooler sort of hallway conversations that take place uh you know yeah great things yeah. can happen from that too can I share one one other interesting thing that came out of the study? Yeah, 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 please. We, we asked people a question that that really shocked us. We asked them this very simple question. We said, where do you feel most productive and do your best work? Mm. So it was, where do you feel most productive? And across all the industries we survey and across all the generations, everybody told us they feel more productive working in an office. Yeah, interesting. Isn't that crazy? Yes, yes. That is interesting. Because if we read the mainstream media for the last two years, it would tell us, you know, at home. Yeah. But no, that's not what the data, not what the respondents told us. Huh. So I wonder if that was compared to actual productivity. Like, you know, when they feel that they're more pro- pro- uh, productive in the office, but whether they are actually more productive. I don't know. 
I don't know. It would be interesting. Yeah, but when we looked at all the data points, there were other questions related to that. And when we kind of stitched them all together and joined the dots, we think what the data is telling us is that people are missing that sense of belonging and understanding what their organization does and stands for and where it's going. And that's especially true for the young workers who joined during the pandemic. Yeah, because because they're in a tunnel. Right, because they joined during, but they joined even if they've never worked in their career because they're just getting started in their careers, because even if they've never worked in person in their careers, they, they have come from schools, presumably, where they did interact in classrooms and with people, right? So they do. Absolutely. I think, and it's also just human nature. Even the, the biggest introvert still, you know, still needs people around, right? Um, I often joke on this show about, and with friends as well, that like as an extrovert myself, I find, uh, you know, we, we've talked so much over the years about, you know, caring for our introverts and thinking about our introverts and being empathetic towards introverts and things, which is absolutely true. And a hundred percent, that's, that is what we need to do mm-hmm. to keep, keep in mind, keep this in mind, especially as extroverts, because, you know, <laughs> we drive everybody crazy. But yeah. the other side of that is I, I keep saying now, now is the time for introverts to be reaching out to their extroverted friends to check in on them because it's been lonely and I can speak, you know, for that mm. firsthand. That's a really interesting perspective. I also think this hybrid work configuration helps, helps introverts do better. Yeah. There's more space and time for them to participate. And even on you know your standard um, Teams calls or video calls, um, we've got some introverts. And, and where they really shine is their ability to process the conversation that's happening, do some research in the browser at the same time, and they're pasting really useful links into the chat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I marvel, honestly, I, I have so much admiration for their ability to kind of do the multitasking they're doing. Yeah. And they're putting in some really helpful resources, like for our customer explaining different technologies or ways to solve problems. And I think, wow, an extrovert is so focused on the person and the conversation and probably taking notes. There's no way their brain could cope with researching a technical topic at the same time mm. and figuring out what's the what's the right resource to provide the customer right now in the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that's so impressive. Yeah, yeah. So tell me, uh, you know, who's someone that was especially nice to you in your career? I had a fabulous boss when I worked for Nokia. He was a a young guy based in Singapore. I only saw him about twice a year, but Mm. he was just so good to me. So good to me. How so? Yeah, how so? Tell me. In a way, he lifted me and, and got me thinking differently about what I could achieve in my career and got me looking way beyond the horizon I was I was focused on and um, and in a way I think he, he, he has set me on a, on a path that I probably wouldn't be on otherwise so actually I need to reach out to him and thank him so thank you Dave <laughs> for prompting that <laughs> that's he why we're just here. a great guy that's why, thank you <laughs> no but yeah. it's I think it's true and I think you know uh, I have a, a talk and some training I do around the nice method called uh, the presentation is called the ROI of nice. There's like a web, a short webcast version of it at, oh, yeah. on, at futureforth.com. But about that in, in, in that, first of all, I do talk about sending thank you cards. Uh, so there is that, but also just about, yeah, recognizing, uh, uh, team members, but also, uh, in the way that you become more effective leaders, 
you know, just by taking, like by being a mentor or, or, or helping folks, you know, or taking them under your arm or under your wing and, and giving them some guidance or some, you know, different perspective, you know, opening up that dialogue and allowing people to communicate is so important. And, and, you know, you just spoke to that firsthand. So I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, (laughs) what's an early lesson that you learned, uh, regarding leadership in, in your, in your career? Oh, I was a terrible leader when I started out in leadership. <laughs> I was I was put in a, in a I realize now I was put in a very difficult situation. I was an engineer in a team of about twenty engineers and I was made the manager. Mm. And I was the youngest in the team and probably the least experienced. And I had a dreadful, dreadful time for the first year or two trying to establish respect. Um, of the team and I went about it in all the wrong ways Mm. and unfortunately I had a mentor or CFO at the time who facilitated a session to get feedback from the team and and give me feedback to help me figure out what I needed to change and do differently Mm. so that was that was hugely beneficial Um, but yeah I I look back and I laugh now it was it was such a challenging time yeah, yeah. Well, we live and we learn, right? We do, we do, and, and and that was that was really a formative experience for me. You know, it really took me two or three years to get my head around what yeah. I was doing and what I needed to do to lead these engineers, um, and 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 I got there, but but it was not without its uh, sleepless nights. Was it was it this gentleman's uh, feedback to you that helped you understand? The, that it wasn't working quite the the approach that maybe that you were taking or was it it wasn't it wasn't him it was somebody else actually somebody who was a very very insightful deeply insightful lady mm. um who was able to see what was going on and, and put things in, in a different perspective for me to understand them yeah and then and then she i think she also played a strong role with the team and saying you know give give dennis a break here he's 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 new in management and leadership um mm. He needs to figure stuff out and he does not have the tools and he does not have all the capabilities to do this job yet. So let's let's give him a little bit of slack. Oh, that's great. And, 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 and help him figure it out. Yeah. So yeah. I think she, she worked on both sides and yeah. Actually, I need to send her a card as well. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Nice Podcast is sponsored by Hallmark. There you go. <laughs> Oh man. All right. Well, let's move on to the the lightning round here. I want to be uh, respectful of your time. So complete this sentence. Nice guys and gals finish first. What is a nice book you recommend to the nice makers listening? Endurance, the book about the exploration of the South Pole. Oh, nice, nice, nice. And how is Dennis nice to himself? Dennis is nice to himself when he gets up early and goes for a run in the morning and then finishes work at a reasonable time and spends the last hour of the day playing guitar. I love it. What kind of guitar do you play? What kind of music? Ooh, um, I've got a couple of guitars. I've got a lovely new Gibson my wife got me. Nice. I've got an acoustic Martin, and I don't play any of them very well, but <laughs> I absolutely love it. And it, uh, I found it, it's my happy place. That's cool. It's playing guitar at the weekends. That's great. That's Makes great. me very happy. Any Neil Young? Yes, I got a couple of great Neil Young songs. I play "Needle and the Damage Done" um, out on the weekend. Nice. Um, a couple, uh, what's the one? The other one from the Harvest Moon album. Yes, yes, it's a great album. Heart of Gold. Some of those. Yeah, yeah they're lovely to play on an acoustic guitar. What about any uh, Irish stuff? Any, any? A uh, little bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't play a lot of traditional Irish. I play some contemporary stuff. Yeah. Niall Horan and um, uh, one or two Van Morrison and. 
bit of U2, of course. Yeah. Has to be a bit of U2 in there. You got to get some Christy um, Moore in your, you got a little, got to get a little Christy. I should, I should. Thank you for that. He's like, I need the, to send you a card as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Christy Moore for folks listening. He's like the patron saint of Ireland, I think. Uh, like he's, he's, like the, he's like the Chris Stapleton of Ireland. That, yeah, there you go. There you go. Yes, yes, yes. Just for Liston Varna alone, I think. Yes. Uh, yes one of the, one of the best, epic, best songs yeah. ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. If you had a billboard, what would it say? The billboard would say, the future we see is the future we get. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Dennis, how can people get a hold of you and say hello? Probably the best way is through LinkedIn. Yeah. Dennis with one in and O'Shea on, on LinkedIn. My company is mobile-mentor.com. So mobile mentor, and we help organizations with their security and their employee experience. And that's probably it. I'm not really active on social media. You will not find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, but I am on LinkedIn. So that, um, that's how a man builds a great company is uh, not spending time on social media. Well, <laughs> <laughs> to, to carve out that hour a day to learn guitar, I had to be very disciplined and say, right, no TV, yes. no social media. I made those decisions a few years ago. And so I'm, I'm strange in that regard, but that's what I, how I carve out my time. And that's what makes me happy. I, I wouldn't call that strange, actually. I might call that wise. So thank uh, you. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate the opportunity and wonderful talking with you. You, you've made it, you've made it a very, very nice experience. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the nice podcast. Please leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode at friend.nicepodcast.co and you can find show notes, links to other episodes and lots of other goodies over at nicepodcast.co. Music by Alistair Crystal at alistaircrystal.ca. We'll see you next time and be nice. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe.